0: Welcome to the Life on Shuffle podcast, a collection of stories about people who have taken chances, embraced the unexpected, and inadvertently discovered their true passion. Today we are featuring Matt, a diesel mechanic instructor from Granite Falls, North Carolina. I am Aaron Schaus, and my co-hosts today are Emily, Ethan, Jose, and Josh. Born in California and raised in Oregon, Matt has been in the Army where he spent time at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, as well as time in Korea, Germany, Kosovo and two deployments to Iraq. During this time, he worked as a vehicle mechanic. After leaving the military, he moved to North Carolina and became a security guard. He then completed an associate degree from Central Piedmont Community College in heavy equipment maintenance technology. He worked for Caterpillar before becoming a diesel mechanic instructor. Now he is the director of the diesel and heavy equipment technology program at Caldwell Community College and Technical Institute. Matt is currently pursuing a bachelor's degree from Appalachian State University in Workforce Development. In his free time, he also enjoys serving as a youth pastor for his church. He is married to his wife, Morgan, who is also a veteran, and together they have two children. Welcome to the show, Matt.
1: Oh, thanks. Glad to be here.
0: So what made you agree to join us today?
1: <laughs> um, I, uh, I have a hard time saying no when people ask me for help.
0: Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I walked up to Matt and just asked him, hey, do you like your job? And that was the start of our conversation to get him on today. So we're excited for you to be here. Oh, absolutely.
1: Uh,
2: could you tell us about your childhood?
1: Uh, from what I can remember, um, just military packed a whole bunch of stuff in my head. Um, so I kind of look at it like a hard drive. I've got like a 10 gig hard drive and eight of it's military still. So I've got to kind of try to defrag it to find the childhood. Um uh, as a kid, I was one of those guys that, uh, that always, always, always took my toys apart. Um, I had to know how they worked. Um, sometimes it was pretty cool. Sometimes it was really um, sadly simple and sort of took the magic out of the whole thing. Like operation. It's just a, a DC motor with a single um, like blade on a propeller. And it just goes, bzzz. and I was like, really? I was expecting a lot more magic. Um, but uh, I, I was constantly outside when I wasn't uh, um, taking things apart. Um, I lived in Oregon. So Oregon for about eight months of the year um, is raining pretty hard. So you either go outside and enjoy it um, or stay inside and take things apart. So I did lots of Legos, um, lots of toys, but uh, I, I grew up outside climbing things. Um, my mom, she learned pretty quickly, don't look for me on the ground. If you, if you can't find Matt, look up in a tree somewhere. So that, that was pretty much me.
0: Do you think that where you grew up uh, affected your first career choice?
1: Um, kind of sort of maybe um, not so much the where but, um, but the why um, my, uh, my father died when I was three so my mom moved us from California up to Oregon to get us away from a whole bunch of um, chaos that was going on in California um, I, uh, I had a lot of anger issues as a kid um, growing up and so I didn't pay a lot of attention during school in fact uh, when, I was, <laughs> when I was your guys age um, let's say school was not my top priority um, nor was education. Mostly it was being a clown. Um, so I rapidly found out that I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, you know, everybody was telling me, oh, you, you know, you have to have your future planned out. And I'm like, I'm 15. How am I supposed to know what my future is going to be? I don't even know what kind of jobs are out there. Um, I knew about fast food, but, um, you know, that's what everybody does in high school. So I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know and pick a job if there's so many jobs out there I don't know? And uh, um, there's a guy that came in, I was working at a pizza joint. And this guy came in. My boss came back, and she says, "Matt, the police are here for you." And so I'm sitting, thinking, uh, "Nope, nobody knows about that or that or." Th-. So I'm like, "I don't." <laughs> let, let's go find out. So I stuck my head out the door, and I was like, "Really? You can't tell that guy's from the army?" And she goes, "Well, how am I supposed to know?" I'm like, "He's in army green. I mean, he was in his dress uniform." So I walk up to him, and I said, uh, "You know what? What can I do for you?" And he says, "Well, hey, I'm, I'm Sergeant Daly Ray, and, uh, and you're Matt Smith, right?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, yeah." And he goes, "All right, cool." Um. I would like to talk to you about joining the army. I said, sure, let's do it. And he goes, uh, okay, well, where do you want to sit? And I said, no, like, let's, let's do the army. And he's like, well, don't you want to hear what I have to say first? And I was like, I mean, if you have to, I've got a break and you know, um, he goes, I'll buy you dinner. All right, cool. Let's do it. So we sat down for an hour, talked about all kinds of different stuff and uh, ended up, um, uh, deciding I was going to join the army. Um, why? Um, I grew up watching GI Joe, um, you know, and it was always like the, the super, the GI Joe was kind of the, The patriotic superhero. Um, A lot of people would have said as I was young, I would have, if you cut me out of blood, red, white, and blue. Um, But uh, um, that sort of formulated the next bit. Um, If I hadn't joined the military when I did, I wouldn't have graduated high school. Um, I got a number of credits for going to basic training between my junior and senior year, and that's what made it to where I could pass high school. So it wasn't so much where I grew up, but kind of the situation that led up to that.
0: How did your parents react to you joining?
1: Uh, Well, (laughs) Uh, she was like, uh, "So, uh, you, uh, you want to do this?" I said, uh, um, "I don't have any other options, so why not?" And she said, "Okay, you know, let's. I guess if that's what you want to do." So, like, your mom
3: was very supportive, you know, throughout your whole whole life, like, absolutely just with everything. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know that. That reminded me, like. Some of the decisions that I made when I was 19, 20, you know, were, they weren't bad. They were just not in necessarily, like, the life that my parents thought I would end up leading. Right. <laughs> and But I can remember the point when they are like, oh, no, like, if you want to do that, you know that's, like, not our thing. But, no, go and do it. And I think having, like, that sometimes can, like, really support somebody, you know, that's going out there making, you know, decisions that they want to as a young adult.
1: Yeah, very much so. As as a parent, looking at it from the other side, being able to look back at what my mom did, um, she supported um, me and my two brothers in in pretty much anything we did. But she would guide us. You know, okay, well, um, that's great. You know, you want to do that, but um, you know, let's let's be safe about it. Let's think about it. Um, and now looking back as as a parent, um, I'm like, you know, I really want my daughter to do this, but I know I can't force her into it. And so it, it makes a lot more impact on what my mom did um, for me when I was when I was a kid. Uh,
3: So when you were a teenager, did you ever want to go to college or was that something that came about after the military?
1: Um, As as a kid that was in the position of finding out that college is something that people do, um, I knew pretty quick that it wasn't going to work for me um, until I grew up more. Um, If I had tried to do college directly after high school, um, I would have bombed pretty much every class. I'd have just played around instead of doing anything, and I wouldn't have had any idea what I wanted to do. So the military truly woke me up um, to the fact that I I need to have a plan, and uh, it it really helped me grow up um, quite a bit.
2: Uh, Can you tell us about your military experience, and also... um Uh, A question about the Kosovo part where you Mm -hmm. were in. Like, I've been like looking into like the war in Yugoslavia. Were you in like during that time where Yugoslavia was going through all that stuff or no?
1: So, um, our deployment to Kosovo, um, we were the second unit, um, the second United States military unit on the ground um, after the Yugoslavian army had already pushed through Kosovo. Um, It was a a joint um, venture um, from the NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Alliance organization, but, um, it was a NATO mission and the the Russians had already taken over the airfield and, uh, they weren't allowing anybody to fly in there for a while cause they wanted to, I don't know, um, capitalize on it or something. I don't know, but they didn't have enough food. So basically we flew in and pushed MREs out the back and said, Hey, thanks for holding it for us. Um, they went to eating and then we kind of went and, um, and, and moved on. Um, I was in a field artillery unit at that point. So basically it's uh, long range cannons, um, our, uh, our unit was really, really psyched out because they actually got to shoot live rounds um, in a, uh, a conflict, um, uh, so to say, and they were one of the first of on-ones to do it. The live rounds they shot were illumination rounds. It was basically a real high-altitude flare. Um, but because I was a mechanic assigned to this unit, I didn't really have a purpose with any of that. So um, I ended up becoming um, the NCOIC of a, uh, um, a, a basically a, a graveyard detail. Um, what would happen is the military intelligence would send um, military intelligence officers and um, interpreters of the local like with the local nationals to the local um, surrounding cities and say, did anything happen here? You know, with with combat, was there any type of uh, um, did the Yugoslavian army come through? Um, you know, what happened? And they kind of investigate. And uh, there was a resistance group called the KLA, the Kosovo Liberation Army. Um, these people um, were kind of armed combatants. And so if, if, if they were involved, we didn't come in and, and get involved. But if the Yugoslavian army came through and did something to civilians, then, um, and if there were civilians that were killed, then what we would do is we would come in, we would set up um, a perimeter with their permission. We would set up a perimeter, um, which is basically a guarded circle around the, um, the graveyard where these people were buried. And then we would invite the family members in, and we would exhume the bodies. And then um, we had doctors from all over the place, from switzerland and canada um, australia um, new zealand and a bunch of other places but um they would do autopsies on the uh, on the bodies and they would catalog the uh, the things that happened to these bodies and then once that was done and the family members were allowed to be in there the whole time and uh, whenever that was done then we would um we would inter the bodies again um the the way that they did it and then um you know just kind of kind of do a service um sort of for the uh for the deceased and then um, we would move on and catalog that data. Um, these doctors, the data and the autopsies that they had performed helped um, build the um, the evidence against Slobodan Milosevic um, that he got tried for war crimes in the Hague. So, I mean, it was it was a lot more important than I ever truly realized when I was going over there.
3: Things like that would be occurring in other countries. So, you know, if, if we were to try and do that here, there's a whole legal thing, which maybe that was taken care of, but there's also like a lot of uh, religious and spiritual kind of like tradition in what, you know, you can't just go and start plundering through a graveyard. So like one, what do you remember? Like what the major religion would be? And like, would there be aspects of that, that like had to, had to occur? when that was going down?
1: So you predominantly had Serbians, which were um, uh, kind of along the uh, the Yugoslavian side. Um, and then you had Albanians. Serbians were predominantly Muslim. Albanians were predominantly Christian. And so there was a lot of that going on. But there, this has been a conflict that has been going on for hundreds of years between Serbians and Albanians. Um, and Kosovo was kind of the, uh, the breaking point of where that happened. Um, uh, Milosevic, with his army, they were... Um, pushing down through, trying to drive the Albanians out of Kosovo, um, and so they would do some pretty atrocious things to them, and uh, and they would uh, con- you know constantly try and move them out, move them out. And our purpose as, with NATO was to come in and put a stop to the hostilities. Um, and when the originally when we first came in, the Albanians were cheering and they're like, yeah, and so they would start to um, to fight back against the Serbians. And they were like, when we told them stop and took their guns away, they're like. Uh, uh, d- like, no, 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 that's not what we're here for. We're not here for you. We're here to stop the whole thing. So um, as far as uh, did they talk to the people first, I was only told that we had permission to be there. Um, the, uh, the military intelligence would come through and they would do all of their questioning prior to me ever showing up. Um, what I was in charge of was the security for the site. So um, I was in charge of uh, making sure the soldiers were there, that we kept um, people out that weren't supposed to be there, that we protected the doctors um, and that type of stuff and let them do what they did. Um, the interpreters had already spoken with the family members, and the family members were perfectly okay with us being there. If they didn't want us to do it, we didn't push it. Um, so there were some that, uh, that they, they didn't want anything to do with it. Most of the time when it was explained what we were doing and the few that I talked to, uh, they were very thankful that we were doing that. Um, You know, like, I guess kind of kind of on the thought process of maybe we're trying to get some justice for um, for their their family members that got hurt.
2: Um, I have a question. So considering you went to military and all this stuff, you went to during the Yugoslav war and also in the Middle East. Were there was there any moment during your whole military part of your career where you were like like in danger or something like that? Where you thought it was over for you
1: um, there was <laughs> there's quite a few times in Iraq that um, that things got hairier than uh, than expected and uh, um, I was definitely uh, you know thanking God on the way back um, that that it didn't go um, a slightly different way um, there's uh, predominantly when I was in Iraq my uh, my job was a, uh, I was in charge of a um, a recovery team, and so um, we would use these uh, these large vehicles to go collect any vehicle that had broke down, um, ran out of fuel, blew up, um, caught on fire, fell in a ditch, anything like that, whatever was going on. Um, we went over to take care of that. And so they would call us up. We'd have a security team. We'd have my, um, my recovery guys. I mean, we were kind of glorified tow truck drivers, but, uh, there was a whole lot more to it than that. I mean, we had to chain these things together to keep them together sometimes, but, um, they found out, they being um, the, uh, the combatants in Iraq, uh, the insurgents, they found out when they blew up a vehicle, then all of a sudden um, you know, there would be a whole bunch of activity around that, and then a whole bunch more vehicles would come in, and then um, they would open up the bigger space, and then we'd do something inside, and then all of a sudden we'd all get up and go off as a unit. And so they started planting bombs, a uh, second bomb, underneath it. So they would blow up the first bomb, and then they would wait until we arrived and start trying to blow up the second bomb. So um, there was a a number of times that um, things got pretty close. Um, My wreck, my record got blown up um, from underneath. Um, I was out in front of it um, trying to pull him forward and uh, it ended up getting blown up underneath me. So um, my biggest fear was that my driver got hurt. And so I was over there beating on the door and he had the door, uh, it's called combat locking, but there's a door, a, a slide that you can do inside the door that you cannot open it from the outside. And I'm sitting here thinking, great. Um, you know, he's hurt. I have to tell Dai his wife, and I can't get into it. So how in the world am I supposed to get into this thing? Um, you're, uh, the windows are like three inches thick. It's all bulletproof and hardened. And I'm like, how in the world, if he's hurt, am I supposed to get in here? And finally he turns on the inside light and he's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So I don't know if his bell got run like I did. Um, I just know after it blew up, I, I got up off the ground and, uh, that was about two weeks before I came back for good. And so, um, you know, that was one of the, the hairier times. But, I mean, there's, there's a number of times when you, you do this stuff, and um, it's entirely possible you're in danger. Um, you know, you're, uh, you're, there's um, bullets flying by. Um, you hear them pinging off of stuff. But um, the, everybody was stuck there until I did my job. So um, I focused on doing my job and let the security guys do their job. So um, until we got things hooked up and ready to go, uh, we were sitting ducks. So it was pretty much just um, mind on the mission, do what you got to do. And if it's my time, it's my time um i know where i'm going and i was happy with that
0: how often did you have to go out to recover like vehicles oh
1: uh quite a t- quite often um i had uh i had four teams and so we did rotations one week we were on call um for any type of recovery mission the second week we were backup on call so if we needed two wreckers then um then we would take the second wrecker um, the third week uh, we were on convoy um, support so um we ran um they're called log packs but you take uh, um, from a large base you go out to smaller bases and you take the supplies that they would need for daily life and uh, uh we always put a record with those in case something happened with it then um, we could collect them and take them off um, and then the fourth week was kind of your rest week although sometimes we needed a third record at the 88 and then um, rest week is well maybe next time
3: so you said that the military helped you mature uh, do you think it helped you plan for what you were going to do in life?
1: The Army introduced me to a lot of things that I had, um, I had no chance of being introduced to. Um, it introduced me to leadership, introduce, introduced me to, um, to coordination with others, um, introduced me to being a mechanic, um, and something that I, I found I really fell into. Strangely enough, when I first started, I was a combat medic. Um, I was a, uh, um, uh, like a paramedic for the military. Um and then when I graduated high school I wanted to get out of a reserve unit that I was in cuz it was just not my speed and so um I called my recruiter again and I'm like can I go active duty cuz this is killing me I I've I, I got to speed things up and so I ended up having to go back through selection and um uh they didn't have any medic slots available in the regular army so they said you've got to pick another job and so I went from fixing people to fixing vehicles and uh you know kind of same concept just a little less wet Um, but the, uh, just being able to get taught that stuff and get an idea of, Hey, this is, this is taking things apart and putting it together the way it's supposed to be done. Um, it really, it really kind of clicked and I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, I guess I'm one of those people that I, I, I need some immediate feedback. So if you, if you do it right and you turn the vehicle on and it starts when it wasn't starting beforehand, boom, that's, it. that's instant feedback. And that would really click with me and I was good to go with it. So they introduced me to things I didn't have a, a chance to do before. Um, and there's a lot of other things in there, too. But it really helped me um, decide the path I wanted to go uh, forward with.
0: When did you decide that you wanted to go to college?
1: Well, um, I got out of the military um, after 16 years, and I had been a technician um, for most of that. Um, I, uh, I, I moved into North Carolina, got a job as a security guard for Brink Security. Um, I was on the armored trucks um, driving those around, and then um, it got to the point in our maintenance shop that, um, that that one mechanic wasn't able to keep up with it. He was having a hard time. And so I volunteered, you know, I'm I'm a mechanic. I mean, I, um, I'm, I'm a trained technician. I can, um, I can help out on days that I'm not driving if you're okay with that. So I started talking with the, um, the tech and uh, he's like, you know, let's give it a shot. Um, I could really use some help. So I came in and started going through stuff and I learned pretty quick that, uh, the military had set me up for, uh, um, to know a lot of things, but there's a lot of holes that I had in my knowledge. um, because in the military, the whole purpose is to get the vehicle back in the fight as soon as possible. And because we're in, um, uh, when we say in the field, we're living in tents. Um, you, you never really take the engine open and, and, um, and apart. Um, we would diagnose it to a problem inside the engine, and then we would take that engine out, put a new en- engine in, and that engine we took out would go back to a clean area to get rebuilt. Being an instructor now, that makes a whole lot more sense to me because I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way this thing would have ran if we had taken it apart in in downtown Iraq, you know? (laughs) So um, now that makes a lot more sense. But I didn't have a lot of knowledge about how the inside of an engine worked. I knew all about the outside stuff, but I didn't know that. And so I'm like, well, I've got these big holes and I need to do something about it. And uh, and Andrzej, he's the Turkish mechanic that we had. um, He was like, you know, um, they have a program at Central Piedmont um, where you can go and, and, and learn about, um, like diesel mechanics. So I looked into that and I was like, all right, cool. I could do that. You know, just go take a couple classes. I could take some engine classes and kind of fill up these holes. And so, um, I went ahead and, uh, and did that. And when I applied, um, I found out they had a Caterpillar technician course, uh, working on Caterpillar equipment and that, um, I could potentially get a job working for Caterpillar afterwards. Well, Caterpillar is great, big, heavy stuff. Uh, military, um, military equipment is great, big, heavy stuff. I was like, cool, you know, and that's a whole lot better. Working on cars, I don't like it much because everything is so small and it feels like I'm going to break everything. So, um, you know, working on the big things, I I know I can put some oomph to it and I'm not worried about snapping off a bolt. Um, So I went to that and I applied for the Caterpillar technician course and I got in. And that was a one-year course, so I had to quit my job at Brinks. Um, But it was a one-year course and the military... GI Bill that I received made it to where I was actually able to do that and still um, live Um, I got money for um, for going to school that allowed me to pay all (laughs) my bills until I um, until I graduated a year later I I'm familiar with the GI Bill
3: but I don't know about like the listeners or the other people in the room if you wanted to just
1: explain that opportunity that you know our military veterans have sure um, essentially after you serve, um, a set number of years and I'm, I do not know what it is now, it's changed a little bit, but after you serve a few years, um, you start gaining, um, uh, this, this GI bill, it's called the post 9-11 GI bill now, but, um, and this is educational, um, uh, money. So what they would do with, uh, when I was in college, I would sign up for the classes and then I would go to the, the, um, the, uh, military representative on, on campus and they would then submit all of my paperwork to the VA. The VA would then say, okay, you're taking this many credits, so we'll pay all of your tuition, and we'll give you a stipend based off of how many um, credits you're taking that's kind of a, a, a living stipend. So I got, um, after I was in for a long time, um, I ended up getting a little over $1,500 a month for um, for living expenses, um, plus um, they would, uh, I would get all of the Pell Grant uh, money back. So The military had already... My GI Bill had already paid everything. So each semester, I would get all of the Pell Grant money back. So that was almost three grand, maybe three and a half, almost four grand. So I would take that four grand and spread it it over the rest of the semester. So that plus the $1,500 stipend, plus they would pay my books. Um, All of that made it to where I could pay my bills, my rent. Um, I had enough gas to get to uh, uh, to and from, all that type of stuff. So um, it was one of those benefits that... um, is a is a great benefit. There's some benefits that a lot of people in the military are like, eh, it's not that great. Um, but that was a was a wonderful benefit. I didn't I didn't actually pay a dime for any of my um, my college classes yet.
0: So did you work for Caterpillar after you got out of that program?
1: Yeah. Um. Uh, so I met Jeremy um through that program. He was the main instructor and uh, um, went through the whole program. Uh, really enjoyed it. Learned um, all kinds of stuff. Filled all those holes that I had. And then. As we were getting to the very end of it, um, Jeremy came up to me and he said, have you ever thought about being an instructor? I said, an instructor for what? <laughs> He's like, well, like uh, for you know, a, a, a school instructor like here at the college. And I was like, uh, no, that's like a master's degree, right? There's No, I'm, no I'm, I'm working on my associates. No, that's a long way away, all that kind of stuff. He said, no, 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 you don't need any of that. And uh, he said, you, you've got this ability to, um, to teach people. Um, complex things in ways that they understand. And you've got a kind of commanding presence about you in the room. So it, it works. You'd be, you'd make a great instructor. And I said, well, I mean, okay, but I mean, I, I can't, I got to go learn before I can come back and teach. Right. So um, I just kind of blew that off. And I went through the, the program at the end of the program, you work for Caterpillar, um, in, in each of their, um, divisions, they've got like a, an engines division, um, they have a, a hydraulics division. Um, you've got field service, you've got the main shop and these are different areas that you're working in, um, for a few weeks at a time, just so they can get an idea of who you are. And so we can get an idea of what Caterpillar was. And it was nice because there wasn't culture shock on um, that way. Um, sometimes you're in a, in a school environment and you know, everything is all nice and clean and pretty. And then you go to work for somewhere like Caterpillar and everything is covered in dirt. And so it's like, Whoa, okay, hold on. It's a little, little different. Um, but I was working with them. I got offered a job. I started working in their hydraulics division and, uh, and was, uh, rebuilding, um, uh, pumps and cylinders and uh, hydraulic hammers and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I moved into their forklift division. Um, not long later, they got me up into Hickory. Um, that way I didn't have to drive an hour, you know, to and fro work every day. Um, and their forklift division, um, I was working there for two years and then Jeremy called me up and said, uh, Hey man, um, I've got a spot I need to talk to you about, um, about coming and being a teacher. So that's sort of another one of those forks in the road that it's like, huh.
0: Did you have any doubts about taking or accepting that position?
1: Um, yeah, I gotta be honest. Um, it was one of those positions that, um, I would have taken a pay cut to go and, and teach. Um, but the more he talked about it, and the more I talked about or thought about it, the more fulfilling it seemed. And so I had to do a lot of prayer about it. Um, and I prayed about it and I was, kind of the whole, um, the whole, the whole Ezekiel thing. I'm like, you know, throwing out the fleece, like, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, then let this happen. You know, if this is what you want me to do, then let this happen. And every time I did that, um, I got a clear answer. And so I was like, okay, um, if this is what you want me to do, I'll roll with it. Um, I've, I've made plenty of decisions in my, in my life that, um, uh, I, I went my own way, and it didn't work quite as well as I was hoping. Um, so I have found uh, through my experience that if I take the Lord's path, then um, it, it works a, a lot better um, in better ways than I ever could imagine. So I I felt that I was definitely supposed to go down there and do that. I was, uh, you know, the Lord is very clear about it. So I talked to my wife, and she was like, you know, if that's, if that's what he wants, then who are we to argue? So I said, all right, cool. And so I went ahead and applied and got the job. And uh, hands down, the best decision I have ever made.
2: So like, how would you describe
1: your time at Central Piedmont? Um, In the beginning, it was one of those things um, I had to really slow down. Um, I had spent um, the past, gosh knows how many years, um, I had to account for every, every hour of my time. So I had to bill my time to customers. I had to be moving fast. I had to, um, anything that I was doing, if I couldn't bill that time to a customer, then it was, um, it was time that my company was losing. And uh, that I kind of took that personal. So um, I was constantly trying to move, 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 go, 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 go. Um, when I got to the school, I'm like, all right, cool. Um, I've got a week before the classes I'm supposed to teach start. Um, I need, there's, there's got to be something I can do. Um, I've, I've got to do something. They said, well, you just got to wait until we get your passwords and everything like that set up in your accounts and all that. I'm like, okay, so how long is that going to take? You know, it's, it's nine o'clock. And they're like, oh, um, probably Friday. I was like, uh, so I had three days and I'm like, what, what am I supposed to do for three days? And they're like, oh, you know, just kind of, just kind of take a break and, you know, sort of follow Jeremy and, you know, just, uh, just kind of get used to stuff. And I was like, uh, but that's like eight hours of stuff that, like, what? How am I supposed to account for that? I'm like, oh, we don't do that here. I'm like, whoa, hold on, time out, what? So it, it really threw me. But I had to, I had to slow down, and in slowing down, I was able to kind of um, really take, uh, uh, take a measure of my surroundings. Um, I got to really look into um, what the classes were. I got to um, to know the students better. Um, I got to uh, to go and see the different instructors and how they do things. And I picked up a lot of um, teaching tactics from them. Um, I mean, I had been teaching in the military forever, but it's really easy to say, soldier, go do this. And they have to do it because I outrank them. Um, it's totally different when you're talking to civilians. So um, it, it kind of worked in my favor that I was able to watch them and pick up these techniques um, for, for teaching you know, younger people. So it, it was honestly very helpful. Um, then once that kicked in, I was in charge of the, uh, the Cummins program where um, Cummins, which is a, a major um, diesel engine manufacturing company, um, this company would send me um, students from all over the country. And, uh, and they would come in, and uh, for two weeks, I would pack as much information in their head as I could. I mean, they were drooling when they left. Um, but, uh, you know, we would tear engines apart, and just it was all lab-heavy for, uh, for 40 hours a week. Just absolute lab-heavy, pushing as much info as possible. And they really um, took to it. I really took to it. Um, apparently I had really good, um, uh, command of the, of the classroom. So I didn't really have any issues that, um, apparently some instructors have of, I don't really know what to do. I just basically told them if they didn't do it, I guess I had the, um, I guess the air of you, you don't have a choice. So it kind of, it kind of worked in my favor for that way. But, um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, being able to take something that's as complex as, um, a, a common rail fuel system on a diesel engine and break it down to where this one, uh, this one student, my favorite student, um, she started uh, with Cummins. Um, the, her prior job was a waitress. She had never dealt with anything um, mechanical. And I could break these com- the, these complex um, uh, systems down to where she could understand. And now... I can't take all the credit. She was bright. She was very, very smart. And she did her work. She, um, she would sit there for those whole two weeks. She didn't go out with anybody or do anything. Um, it was basically school and study and sleep and eat. I um, mean, she really put the work in. But she got it and she understood it. And there were so many times where she's like, I just don't get it. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, this does that. And I'm like, absolutely. You know, and that, and that whole like ding where the light pops up. I mean, it, that was amazing. I was addicted as soon as I got that first one. So, I mean, it's 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 a lot of fun for me to take these things that people um, see as, like, there's no way I could ever put an engine back together and let them put it back in the engine and let it crank up and their lights just go off. It's so cool. So, uh, when you were younger, did you ever think you'd
3: be a teacher? Did you see that as an option?
1: I playfully thought that I might be a teacher when... Um, uh, when I was getting out of the military and then I realized that, um, that my military mentality and, uh, and young children, um, don't go together very well. And so I was like, you know what? Um, maybe not young kids, maybe high schoolers. And, uh, so I kind of started looking at that. And then, um, the, the requirements of having a master's degree, I'm like, okay, I've got a long time for that. Um, you know, to, to go through that type of thing. Um, obviously I'm still not there yet. Um, but, uh, my, both of my parents, my, my mom and my, my stepdad, um, were both teachers. My stepdad taught, uh, um, woodshop for like 20 years. That's not really an option anymore. Um, I had to love doing that, but that's, you you just don't do it anymore. Um, but I saw the climate that teaching was going and I was like, I don't really want to go that way. Um, so I, I toyed around with it, but I never gave it, um, real thought like this is definitely something I want to do.
2: Um, how was the transition between teaching at Central Piedmont to here at CCCNTI?
1: Um, it went pretty well because I get a broad leash up here um, my, nobody else in the school except maybe one other person have any clue what it is that I do and what I'm trying to do and so I came up um, I had really good support from uh, the vice president that was hired. Um, or went, that was here when I was hired along with my dean. And they're both like, I, I told them, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And this is why I want to do it. And they were like, okay, cool. Sounds great. Um, if we can do it, let's do it. And uh, I guess I, um, they had enough confidence in me to, um, to allow me to run with it. And um, I, I always try to come with a, a solution whenever I have a problem. So, you know, I found this problem, but here's the solution I, that I suggest. They don't have to take it, but at least I come with an idea. Um, and they've seemed to really enjoy that. And the, um, the students and the local industry is really supporting, um, what we're trying to do here. So, um, it's, it's been, it's been really good, a very good transition.
3: You actually mentioned something that's popping up in a lot of these different conversations in the fact that like, sometimes people love what they do and then they have to struggle with an environment that's like not allowing them to do it and then others like are encountering an an environment that is like really conducive to what it is and then it makes them love what they do. So do you feel like you lean one side of that or the other? Like, is it the fact that you really get to design the program or
1: is it, you know, your love for mechanical things? So, um, when I first got up here, it was all bells and whistles, and everything was going to be awesome. Um, they were going to give me this great big spot down in the in the lower J building. Um, in my mind, I had all these grand illusions that this was all going to like you know keep growing and growing and growing. Which I still I still have that plan. It's still going to do it. I'm going to take over the whole bottom of J building, um, but that's probably a few years to come. But it turned out that um, those plans got shot because. Um, we got this grant to build this, they're calling it the hospital, um, but it's a health services building. Maybe I call it the hospital, but it's, it's this health services building where it's a multi-story building that's going right on top of where um, what we call S building is. That's where I was trying to move the people that were gonna, um, that, were, that are currently occupying the space that I needed. So since they're flattening that building, all of a sudden, guess what? We can't do it. Um, you know, we've got the grant. That's where we're going to put it. It's the only place to put it. So your program can't go there. Um, I'm like, okay, cool. So where's my program going to go? And they're like, um, well, we'll have to find you a spot. And uh, my program kicked off in August of 2000, 2002, or uh, 2022. Um, I didn't get the bays that I was going to be teaching in until the, the tail end of July 2022. Um, I had two weeks. I was graduating from um, truck driver training. And I had exactly two weeks to build everything before students arrived and like space, um, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Um, my dean kind of talks. He was like, I'm pretty sure you were going to quit because I was getting livid. Um, we had made all these promises to all these people, um, you know, the, these business partners, these students, um, all of these people that this is what's going to happen and this is how we're going to do it. And all of a sudden, it's looking like I'm going to teach an engine class in a parking lot. And I'm like, You're, oh, I was so mad. Um, but they, they, ended me, they ended up getting me that space. Um, it's not ideal, but it works. And so, um, you know, roll with the punches and keep on going. Um, the military always taught me just keep pushing forward um, no matter what. Um, you know, people say, oh, it can't get worse. Oh, yes, it can. Um, no matter what you do, it can always get worse. And what we have over here is incredibly... Um, better than what so many other places have. So I've been in some really nasty places um, that have some uh, some very, very difficult conditions. So what I have to deal with here is nothing in comparison. Um, and I, so to answer your question, if I remember your question, um, basically i do this and i love to do this because i like to teach i like the um i like the information and i like the students and there's a need that what i do is filling and so i get that fulfillment both from i'm giving these students a a skill set that they can work the rest of their life for Um, there is there is they will never go without a job if they so choose to Um, and so i'm i'm enabling enabling them to step up from where they were I'm helping out the community and giving them technicians that we are in dire need of. And uh, um, I don't know. It's just it seems to be uh, what I'm supposed to be doing. So how am I supposed to argue with that?
2: Uh, Have you had any setbacks? And if you have, how have they changed your view in your career? or How have they changed your career?
1: Well, um if you talk to anybody that I was in basic training with, um, I was going to serve for 30 years if, um, if allowed. Um, and I was going to die taking uh, an M 203 under the chest. I mean, I was all gung ho combat. Let's go, 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 go. I grew up a little bit. Um, but I I never thought that I was going to get out of the military prior to retirement. Um, I figured I was just going to keep doing it the whole time and, uh, shoot, I'll stay in as long as they'll let me. Um, my wife had a, um, had different ideas um, when I went to Iraq the second time. Um, she couldn't take it. When I came back after the first time, um, I was a, a wholly different person. I was struggling with a lot of um, a lot of demons, um, and so I was a, a completely different person. Um, my daughter was two weeks old when I left. When I came back, she was a little over a year, and then my wife got pregnant real soon afterwards. And so um, all of that going on, um, along with oh yeah, by the way, um, our unit is going to move to Germany now. So I had to, um, I had a lot of duties I had to take care of there. So, um, it was very, very stressful for that whole year between when, um, when I got back and when we went to Germany and then that year in Germany, um, was pretty rough as well before we deployed, um, going back. She knew we were going back and she was kind of dreading it the whole time. Um, and then, uh, um, about a month after I, um, I got back in country, she was like, I can't do this again. I, I can't do it. And so um, she filed for divorce. Um, I struggled for, um, I remember it was October, and pretty much the entirety of October, I didn't sleep. Um, but maybe an hour or two here or there, I was constantly just milling over my head. What am I going to do? What about my kids? How is this going to happen? Um, you know, am I ever going to see my kids again? How are they going to learn about God? Um, all this stuff that's, that was always like, you know, just crucially important to me and then finally at one point um it just dawned on me and i remember i was walking down a dark dusty street um i was by these uh these concrete um barriers that they used to guard to guide the uh, vehicles and i just stopped and kind of pitched over one of them and i was like lord i am so sorry you know here i am i i confess belief in you but i don't believe that you'll take care of my kids i believe that i can take care of my kids better than you can and i was like i'm sorry you know what um i give my kids to you they're they're in your hands I surrender um, anything that, that, I, that I hold claim. And I, I have to trust that you are going to take care of my kids better than I ever could. So whatever your plan is for them, um, if I'm part of it, awesome. If I'm not, please help me understand. And that next day, my best friend's wife, um, Di, um, she, uh, she called my buddy and uh, um, said, Hey, um, I think she'll give Matt the kids if he wants them. So I called my mom and I was like, Hey, um, I might be able to get the kids. Um, can you pick them up? You know, I'm still in Iraq. Um, I'm like, you know, would you be able to, to, to fly over and pick them up? They're in Oregon. My kids are in North Carolina. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but let me ask your dad. And so, uh, you know, next thing I know, um, they're flying over, picking up my kids, um, taking them back into, into, um, into Oregon. And I am pursuing getting out of the military as fast as I can. Um, you know, though, a lot of people had asked me, you've been in 16 years. What's four more years? The way things were going, that would have been at least two more deployments. And uh, I, my buddies that stayed in, they did two more deployments. Um, I didn't think my kids could go that long without me, not especially in those formative years. I mean, they were uh, they were two and almost three, or a little over three. So, um, you know, for that the, that early childhood years, my kids needed me more than the military did. So they, owned, they had one dad. The military had tons of sergeants. So at that point, it was a pretty easy um, uh, thought process to, to make that choice and get out. Um, never thought I would have done that. Never. Um, but once I did get out, I was thinking, well, maybe I can maybe I can do like reserve time and uh, and, you know, join in the reserves and then, you know, just kind of fill, fill or fill the rest of the years that I need to where I can retire. So I, w- I had talked to the Air Force. Um, and I was going to be stationed on the Oregon coast under radar battery watching for um, North Korea to shoot missiles at us. And, uh, everything was set up that way. I had about, um, another week before I was going to enlist and I had ordered a, uh, a, a air force uniform. Um, theirs were slightly different than the army ones. And so I'm trying it out, um, you know, I've got it on, making sure it all fits, that kind of stuff. And my daughter walks in the room behind me and she sees me in uniform again and absolutely goes bananas. She loses it. Starts screaming, throwing stuff everywhere. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I ripped it off, threw it away. said, nope, I guess I'm not going to be in the military. You know, no more military for me. And uh, I mean, it's that's the way the things have, um, have moved. Had I done it, I probably never would have been in the situation that, that got me here where I am today.
0: So what did you do after that point? Like, how did you get to North Carolina from that time?
1: The first year was kind of a PTSD blur. Um, I had just come out of a combat zone. Um, I was now a civilian uh, for the first time in 16 years. I was a single parent, um, and uh, I, had no, uh, I had no job or no future um, laid out in front of me. And I was reeling for a while, um, had really no idea what in the world I was going to do. And then... Um, you know, my, uh, my parents were still um, taking care of my kids. I was living with them for a while. And uh, I started thinking, like, I've got to get some kind of a job. And so I'm like, well, what about a, what about a mechanic? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't have tools. <laughs> um, you have to have your own me- um, tools as a mechanic. So I'm like, I don't have tools. So I could buy a bunch of tools. I'm like, but I don't really know a lot about engines. I don't really know a lot about this other stuff, which if, if I knew then what I knew now, had I pursued that, I would have done well. Um, you don't need to have everything figured out. Um, you know, you can, uh, there's a lot of need for people that aren't really good in engines. Um, but thankfully, I didn't know that. Uh, but I started um, working with my brother-in-law. I was a, a finished carpenter for a while. Basically, they build all the doors and or all the houses and we put in the doors, the windowsills, the closets. We put all the molding in around the, um, around the, the baseboards, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was a, uh, that was entertaining and fun, but I knew it wasn't something I was going to do forever, and then um, I caught wind of Aflac and started uh, um, started with them where I was um, trying to convince people to um, to buy um, health insurance um, from Aflac. Um, great stuff. I just wasn't very good at it. I was still very military, very um, stiff, and uh, very to the point, um, so... You know, great salesmen come in and they start talking to you, kind of put you at ease, you know, that type of stuff. I'm going in thinking, I'm not going to waste your time, so let me tell you what I'm here for right now. And it didn't work very well. But um, I ended up um, linking up with a, an old um, high school sweetheart. Um, not really high school, but um, post high school. When I was in the military, I was at Fort Bragg. I was dating a girl. When I got orders to go to Germany, um, you know, uh, uh, we had been dating pretty pretty steadily for a while and it was one of those things: Do we get married and go together, or do we split up and I just come back? And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, we haven't been dating long enough to really go into the whole marriage thing. So uh, we said, you know, well, let's let's revisit this. I'm going to um, to Germany. I'll be back in a few years, and uh, and you know, let's revisit this. Um, okay, now I'm about to date myself. Okay, um, this was <laughs> pre-internet, um, not like the whole internet, but this was pre like email and all that kind of stuff um, AOL was still a really big thing. Um, chat rooms were a great big thing, but like everybody having an email address and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff didn't exist yet. Um, no cell phones, no, none of that. So, um, I go to Germany and I write her a couple letters and I never hear back from her. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's what, uh, that's what happens to, um, to soldiers all, all across the world all the time. Um, you know, they, they've got a, a sweetheart that's all for them until they're not there anymore. And then it's like, all right, forget it. So I get it. No problem. Um, so I move on with my life. Um, six years later, I come back to the States and, um, and then, uh, um, well, I guess this was probably 10, almost 14 years afterwards. Um, we ended up, I got out and, um, I was in Oregon and, uh, my roommate from Fort Bragg, um, had been searching for me on Facebook and all the other things for, um, forever um, Matt Smith is not one of those names that's really common. No, um, there's hundreds of thousands of us apparently. And so he was searching through all of them. And finally he, uh, he gets hold of me and he's like, Hey, I get this message. He's like, Hey man, I don't know if you're the Matt Smith. It was at Fort Bragg in a five Oh third back in the nineties. But, uh, if you are dude, this is Scott and, uh, you know, it'd be kind of cool if we got back together, you know, just kind of, you know, caught up. And so, um, I'm like, dude, yeah, Scott, you know, my roommate, um, great guy. Um, turns out that he he knew this girl melissa and uh um i saw her on facebook for the first time since um i was what 20 something and uh, i was like oh my gosh she's got two kids i'm like cool so i wrote her a message erased it probably 30 times and finally i just hit send i have no idea what it was that i wrote but i know in there it was something along the lines of you've got um you know you've got a couple of nice looking kids turns out those weren't her kids those were her brother's kids And, uh, so we kind of started this long distance relationship thing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for over a year. Um, we flew back and forth, met each other, met the kids, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, she was going to move to Oregon and, uh, and then we were going to end up, um, you know, getting married and all that kind of stuff. Um, she, uh, she got cold feet pretty quick. Um, as the time got closer, um, as I found out later that she's not one of those people likes to do things off the spur. (laughs) So she likes to plan things out for a lot. Um, and so uh, I made the call. I'm like, uh, all right, I guess we're going to North Carolina. Um, so um, my mom was very not happy about that, but uh, my dad even less so. Um, but we ended up moving to North Carolina. Um, I made a lot of dumb mistakes that if I could go back, um, I would do it different. But um, we ended up getting married. And we were married for, um, for five very taxing, trying years. Um, uh, the... The fact that I couldn't live up to the um, pedestal that she had built me up on through all those years of not remembering me um, uh, or not knowing me. Um, I couldn't fill the the shoes of the person that she had created me to be Um, and um, I guess I was kind of bitter about that too. So it was kind of on both sides but our marriage disintegrated. Things just went nuts Um, and after being in North Carolina for six months because I had custody with my, um, with my ex-wife, who was also from North Carolina, um, we had to meet um, at, a, at a custody hearing, and it was the first time I had seen Morgan um, since the day I left for Iraq that second time. Um, and uh, I was like, okay. So I saw her, and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and she saw me, but I didn't realize it. Uh, <laughs> uh, we go back, we meet with a mediator, and she says, wait a minute, why are you in North Carolina? I was like, Oh yeah. So we moved here about six months ago. And so she lost it on me rightfully. So, um, but I explained, look, I knew we were going to have to do this, but I wanted them to meet, um, I wanted them to meet Melissa and, and be able to build a relationship with Melissa without Morgan being in the, in the process, um, to cut this like forever story down. We ended up, um, when Melissa and I split Morgan stepped up big time, um, to help out with the kids, to be with the kids, to be around the kids. Um, so we started seeing each other more often and more often. Um, about a year into it, um, I was out at her um, her dad's place helping her move a bunch of things that she had stored over there. And I picked up this tote, and, and it rattled. And I was like, what is this? And I'm like, it feels it feels like a box of rocks. And she's like, oh, it is. And I was like, why do you have a box of rocks? And she goes, open it. And so I open it, and this is gravel. Right, just regular crush-and-run gravel that you'd find in a parking lot. And I was like, uh... Why are you, why do you have gravel? And she said, those are the rocks that the kids gave me. And so every time for the, for the 10 years, uh, I guess it was five years here in North Carolina, but um, for those five years, every month she would come over and she would meet the kids. And every time walking back to the parking lot, the kids are going through, um, through the, this gravel parking lot and they're seeing these sparkles on this, on this, gra- this it's gravel. Um, so it's like uh, granite with quartz in it. And they see these sparkles and they, oh, mommy, look at this. And they pick it up and they give it to her. And she kept every single rock my kids gave her for five years. And this is like gravel that most people would just like, oh, that's cool. You know, kind of toss it off to the side when the kid's not looking. And so that really um, broke the idea that I had of her. And uh, through um, a long, long restorative process, we ended up getting remarried after 10 years. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, she's here today, um, kind of what's uh, what's making me give or giving me the strength to do these type of things but um yeah I don't even remember the question I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I hope I answered it if not I, I get it on tangents my bad
0: um what kind of impact um do you think you've made in your career with all the students that you've taught so far
1: Well, with the Cummins guys, I never see them again once um once they graduated. Um but I I heard back from a few of them and uh especially um especially that one young lady, um she was like, "Wow, you made it so easy to learn that stuff. I thank you, thank you, thank you." Apparently, she's moved up in Cummins pretty far. Um uh, there's a couple other guys like uh this one, one particular student, um his name was Vernon. Um he was very very thankful for the way that we did things and for how I taught him. Um but I never really saw them again, and so now I'm seeing um, my students uh, during class and kind of building that rapport with them, and I'm getting to the point to where when they graduate in a few months, um, I'll actually be around to where I can see them again. Working in, uh, in Huntersville, um, the students I had that weren't um, coming students, if I was teaching a regular class, they're still working in Charlotte at different shops, and I have no idea where these things are. I might mean, live in Granite Falls, um, so most of them have no idea where Granite Falls is. So, um, I I I don't know. I I can't really answer that yet. Um, I I hope it's been good. Um, some of the feedback I've got back has been good. Um, so we'll just kind of let the let the pudding set and see what happens. Can I get back to you on that?
0: I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Uh, so
3: throughout your life, uh, who or I guess it could
1: be a couple people. Who do you think your biggest influences were? Throughout my entire life, um, I mean, let, let me go with the, the quintessential mom. Um, I mean, she uh, she raised three rambunctious boys alone for twenty years. Um, now, with my own kids looking back, I have no idea how she did it. Um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to find out how to contact the Pope to get her um, you know set up for sainthood. But I mean, oh my gosh, um, I've got one boy and one girl. I can't imagine three, especially knowing what I know about my brothers. Um, yeah, it was a. Uh, it was amazing. I have no idea how she did it, but she was always there for us and she supported us constantly. And, um, and she worked to make it to where we never knew that we were poor. And growing up, I never, I never knew I was poor. Um, you know, it wasn't until now I'm an adult and I'm looking back, I'm like, wow. Okay, cool. Um, look at medical bills. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Wow. I can't, we were constantly in, um, going to the hospital, but, uh, so she's definitely one of them. Um, my, uh, my drill sergeant from basic training, um, drill sergeant, David S. Fesco, um, I'll remember him to the day I die. Um, that dude was amazing. He was a, a, a former Marine and he was all about do it right, no matter what it takes. And so he really impressed that upon me. Um, I kind of, I earned the nickname private psycho cause he found out about my dreams of, um, gloriously dying with a 203 round to the chest. If you guys don't know what a 203 round is, it's a, a grenade launcher. So, like, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a big boom. I figure if you're going to go, go painless. Um, you're not going to feel it, right? But um, he, he found out about that, and I was like, oops. So I got called private psycho from that day forward. Um, but uh, he really, really instilled the, um, the sense of duty in me and the sense of, of get it right um, and do it right the first time, period. Um, so those two guys. And then um, there's, a, there's Staff Sergeant Taylor Owens, um, he was my motor sergeant at Fort Bragg and I say, I grew up really quick in the military, but it took me a few years to get there. Um, I was still a, an absolute knucklehead. I would probably have thrown myself out. Um, if I knew me as a sergeant, um, I was, uh, was a bonehead, um, but you know, not showing up for, uh, for duty, not, um, uh, sleeping in till late, all that kind of stuff. Um, just kind of being a young 20, 22 year old, um, knucklehead. Um, but he stuck through me and he, he kept it. He saw something that nobody else did. And through that, um, it kept me in long enough to really, uh, really grow up fully and, and kind of achieve, I guess the, the militariness that I needed to be the the soldier that I needed to be. So those three people, uh, were, were huge in kind of forming me to be the soldier that I was. And I still, (laughs) I still consider myself a soldier. I still refer to everybody else as a civilian. Um, it's (laughs) It's a, a joke of uh, I'm on the butt of a lot of jokes in my um, in my classes, but because um, I keep referring to civilians and like, well, really, you're a civilian now, too? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: What's the best advice you have for young people trying to figure out what they want to do in life?
1: Um, you're not finished yet. Um, you're not a finished product right now. You are still growing. There is there is no reason to have your your future planned out to a, a finite point. If you're at that point and you know what you're going to do, like I know that you do, um, that's awesome. You know, that's fantastic. But you don't have to be there yet. You don't have to know what you're going to do. Just have, um, have an open mind and have a, a plan that you're going to take the next step. Um, so many people are like, oh, I want to do this, but they don't do any kind of research into it. Look into it. Do yourself a favor. You know, if you think that, you know, being a, um, a radio host would be awesome. Cool. Look into it. If, uh, if you really, really, really think that um the biopharma um, pharma, pharmaceuticals would be great, I mean, shoot, if you want to like run a sewer station, by all means, whatever you're gonna do, look into it, research it, and then find out if you don't like it, that's okay. Again, you don't have to make your choice right now. You've got plenty of time that's that's the best thing I can say. We've got so many teenagers that are flipping out or under all this pressure from from school counselors and from um, from other people that, oh, what college are you going to go to? You have to go to a four-year college. No, you don't. There's tons of jobs out there. You don't need to go to a four-year college. Not everybody is four-year college material. So find what you like to do and go do it. That's the, that's the best thing I can say.
0: Thank you to Matt for joining us today. And thank you, Matt, for um, serving our country for 16 years.
1: Thank you for your support.
0: Today's episode was recorded on march 31st of 2023 this episode was produced by ethan and it was hosted by aaron emily jose and josh